big game uh, on the docket for the Jets, not just because of the time of the year and everything else, but the Boston Bruins are in town, the number one team in the National Hockey League. To talk some Jets with us, we welcome back into the program from the Winnipeg Sun, Scott Billick. I hope you're well, sir. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I am well. I was just hoping you didn't want to talk to me about cybersecurity because I know nothing. So, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't like to say that I, I don't know nothing because I don't, and I don't want those who do to sort of track me down for the eight dollars right. in my checking account right now. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in overdraft, so you don't even have to worry. But don't even try to come at me. I need yeah. that for a coffee tomorrow, so please right. don't rob me. But we will talk cybersecurity in the next segment. Um, what do you make of the Jets going into tonight's game? We know Josh Morrissey's back, no Pierre-Luc Dubois, but uh, most recently coming off that loss in Carolina, the benching of that line. Um, I know Kyle Connor spoke today. I know that um, Mark Scheifele did speak, but it was well while Josh Morrissey was. So what do you make of the Jets going into tonight's game? Um, yeah, you know, it's a good question. It's a big game, obviously, because, you know, at the end of the night, um, you know, if it goes wrong for the Jets and it goes right for Nashville, it could be just a two-point gap uh, with the Predators having three games in hand still. And, and you know, so, but then you kind of compare it to the fact that the Boston Bruins are the best team in the NHL and they've lost two games and they're probably not too happy about that. And and then you have, you know, a couple of players who, yeah, they were benched. One of them spoke after the game in Carolina the other night and, you know, took it, it – Right on the chin. I mean, you know, essentially said that it was their fault. But you know, to me, it's it's a bit of a you need a response from that line. I mean, the line wasn't good, um, but they're going back to it tonight. So, uh, you know, Rick Bonus trusts that line. He he knows it can be good, um, but but they need to prove it again. You know, like that, that was a tough thing. You know, it's a bench your top line at this time of the year is not something that you want to be doing. Um, this shouldn't have been a story today. It, it, you know, it sh- probably should have been, you know, parked. And, and those two players that didn't speak should have just spoke after the game and, and kind of dealt with it there. Um, but, you know, at the, you, you got to settle that side tonight. I mean, this team, you know, you, the Jets need a win. And, and it's against the hardest team to win against in the NHL. I mean, that's that's the bottom line here. And, and so they need to park all the stuff that's kind of gone on in the last two days, the loss. And, and they played a good game in Carolina. Like, I, I, I thought the team played a good game in Carolina. And they, you know, the only problem that they had is that they suffered from some mistakes that, that they've dealt with all season, just poor puck management skill uh, or ability, and, 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 and it burned them uh, a couple times. And that was the, the difference in what it was essentially a one-goal game, uh, you know, the empty netter, obviously. But, um, yeah, I, I think this team just needs to clean up they need to clean. They obviously need the top line rolling, and they need to clean up uh, just some of those puck management issues because they played the Bruins pretty decently early on in the season. They only lost three two to them. Um, they need you know another performance like they had on Tuesday and just clean up the puck management issues. And I think they could have a chance tonight. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I I don't know why, but I I think they could beat the Bruins tonight. I think it's Hellebuck's back in net, but. All the storylines you talked about, Scott, I totally agree with. It didn't need to be a storyline, but unfortunately it is. But to me, right. all of that is secondary to how they play. Like, to me, it's forget right. about whether they spoke or not and should have they and all that stuff. It's like, what are you going to bring? Because this is the time of the year that I was surprised that the benching happened. It, it shouldn't have to happen at this yeah. time of the year from two veteran players like that. And But it did, and, and they, you know, Connor spoke about it today, and, and Niederreier did. So to me, all of it is is... 
it's not white noise because it's important, but it's not at the forefront. At the forefront for me is how are you going to respond? How are you going to play tonight against a very tough challenge, which they themselves are struggling. I'm fascinated by tonight's game and not just because it's the Boston Bruins. Right. I mean, you know, this is the thing. Like, I mean, that line, you know, apart from all the noise that happened after the game and all that and today and whatever, I mean, that line couldn't get a shot attempt on goal in a period and a half, essentially. I mean, 28 minutes, whatever. They played about 10 minutes of ice time at that point. They didn't generate a shot attempt on goal. They allowed 12 against. I mean, that, that's that that's not uh, that's not <laughs> it's not going to help you now, and it's certainly not going to help you in the playoffs. And so you're right. I mean, you know, th- this is a, a massive response game for for a line that uh, you know. I, I think you know. You listen to Kyle Connor, listen to Nino Niederreiter. They know um, that they needed to be better and. And so this is the time. This is where you've got to prove it because it, it, there's 14 games left or 15 games left, whatever the number is now. It, it, it's it's getting to that point where, like, you know, the Jets need to be figuring out how to play a, a consistently good hockey game instead of just a consistently, you know, we don't know what's actually going to, you know, we're going to see from the team every night. And I think, you know, that that's one of the biggest hurdles that this team has yet to overcome is, is just trying to figure out what their game looks like. What's the baseline of their game? Because it, it, it's hot and cold, and some nights it looks really good. And then on nights where it can look really good, like I thought it did on Tuesday, you know, you find a way to lose. You find a way to shoot yourself in the foot somewhere along the line, and, and, and that becomes a difference in the game. Um, you know, this team needs a little more of the, well, the Tampa game more than anything. And they need to have that. Uh, you know, becoming the, the template for, for every night. And so, you know, it, it, I, this is a good test because you're going to play the best team in the NHL. And and, and it's not like the Bruins are going to be backing down. Again, like I said earlier, they, they've lost two straight. They want to get back to the winning ways. And that's a team that knows how to, you know, get through this sort of kind of adversity and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, obviously Jeremy Swayman starting tonight. It won't be Linus Allmark, who's probably going to win the Vesna this year. But Swayman's no slouch either. So, um, yeah, this team just needs to uh, pull up the bootstraps, I suppose. I mean, I I don't know whatever cliche you want to use, but that's what they need to do. They need to figure it out, um, put everything that's happened behind them, and and, and get back to winning ways and and playing a game that's, that's, uh, you know, that, 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 that predicates itself to wins. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with this, and that's why it sort of gets into that. And and to be honest with you, like I, I think what's not being talked about enough with the last five or six games, whether they won or lost, is when they struggled in the games, it's kind of been their own mistakes, right? Like it's right. not through yeah. poor defensive play. It's not through um, lack of effort or things like that. It's because, oh, I made a bad pass and caused a turnover, or, oh, I exited the zone. Like it's all stuff that I look at that I'm not going, this team is overwhelmed or they're not – Play, they're playing well. It's just they shoot yeah. themselves in the foot quite often the past five games. Yeah, I mean, you look at the first goal uh, against Carolina that they allowed. Brendan Dillon's looking for an outlet pass, um, and all three forwards have fled the zone already. Um, you know, and then you look at the second goal that they allowed, and you know they lose the faceoff, and that's become a thing for the Jets. They, they don't win a lot of faceoffs or haven't um, at least you know most of the year, and it, that's fine. I mean, it goes back to the point, but two guys follow the puck to the point and that leaves um uh, i forget who scored the goal now but um irrelevant i mean it leaves the one guy open on uh, on the left and he has a clear shot at the net and, and roofs it past uh you know it's it's with little things like that where you're just like you know it seems like those mistakes would just they, they should be easy fixes right 
Um, for a team that has played pretty well defensively at times this season, um, you know, you can clean that stuff up. And a lot of it's just, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it just, you know, I struggle to find the answer why they just can't clean that up right now. But, um, you know, it's what they need to do. And I think, you know, to a man in that dress, they all know it. Uh, um, but, you know, I think they just, this is a team that, that needs something to go right from. They just need to play a good game again. I mean, or, I thought they they responded really well the other game. Um, you know, being down, they, they responded well without the top line playing in those final eight minutes of the period there. Um, so yeah, I, I just think this team needs to kind of hunker down and 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 do what has got them to this point, and not you know maybe the last you know fifteen twenty games, but really go back into you know what made them successful early on this season and was sticking to a structure, and even when it wasn't you know going right at times, you know they would find ways to get back and 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 adjust in game. Um, where they could still pull out a victory. And, and so, you know, I think that's part of what's missing too on this team right now is they, they just don't have the the capacity that they had earlier to kind of, you know, get themselves out of these jams mid-game um, that they've had before. And so, yeah, again, I, I think a lot of this, especially during the season, you hear the good teams talk about structure, the process, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, that's something the Jets need to kind of uh, adopt and, and make sure that they're sticking to that. Um, you know, like I thought they did in the third period in Tampa um, last weekend. Yeah, and it's it's ironic you brought up that because the last time I talked to Boston Bruins coach years ago was after they won in 2011, and in 2012 I was asking him, you know, what's the keys and stuff like that, and they said a key to any good team, whether it's ours or others, is you play the same way whether you're up 3-1 or down 3-1, right. and you don't get away from your system, and that's what's made us successful, and then here we are this many years later, and you know, the Jets, if they can, kind of what they've done the past five games is just their own mistakes, but if they can play the same way up or down uh, like they did at the start of the year, they should have something. So it should be a great game and maybe the last time to watch Bergeron live in Winnipeg and who knows, Krejci and who else, yeah. but uh, is a big one. Scott, I appreciate you teeing it up for us and good hearing from you as always. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the game. Yeah, appreciate it, Jimbo. Thanks for having me. And welcome back to the Jim Till Show as we welcome in to talk some cybersecurity, our cybersecurity expert, or one of the many, but uh, we like to call him our own, right? Tesh Kotak, how are you? Excellent. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, we just had you on a week ago, and, and we're talking about some cybersecurity, and now a new threat has come up. The Canadian Center for Cybersecurity is warning about significant vulnerability impact from Microsoft email, and I'm hearing that you don't even have to open this one, right, Tesh? What do you know about it? Yeah, it's a zero-day vulnerability, and it's also no-click. So the way it works, and you got to bear with me because it is extremely sophisticated and complex, and I'll try to make it as uh, simple as possible, is you get an email, and within that email, there would be a calendar invite. And, um, you know, I think we've all experienced that. You get the email, and it just goes ding. You know, you have a meeting in 15 minutes. Well, the second that reminder goes ding, it was actually sending the credentials back to the hackers and what we call a hashed value. So it's not your password, like password one, two, three, which by the way, is a horrible password idea, but just uh, it, it was the string of characters that it was sending. Now, why is that important is once you have that hash value, you're now able to use those credentials to log into other Microsoft services 
on the network. And it's a, it was a zero day, meaning uh, you don't know about it until it's discovered. And it's believed that this was in the wild since April 2022. Wow. And so what is the recommended procedure if you get this email? So there's nothing you can do. It's 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 zero. It's zero. It's um it's a zero click. It just automatically uh, sends over the credentials. But it's important to understand this wasn't. This is probably not impacting everyday uh, everyday users. It is. It it impacts enterprise level um, apps, Microsoft apps. Uh, also, older versions of the Outlook client. So that's when you open Outlook on your on your computer. It's the older versions and the enterprise. Version so up, Microsoft has put out a patch. It's important to upgrade, but there's also other ways around it for corporations, which is ensuring that you have VPNs and firewalls, and that could detect that outbound ping of your uh, your credentials and that hash to value. Does this surprise you at all? Because I, I think in any crime, whether it's cyber crime or not, that uh, the criminals always get more sophisticated. Yeah, and this is not just your ordinary hacker here. This is very right. sophisticated. This is probably state-sponsored because um, uh, this involves a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of expertise. Um, so this is not your your average hacker here. This is extremely, uh, extremely complex stuff. But does it surprise me? No, it doesn't surprise me. I've always said when it comes to this type of technology, kind of imagine you're living in a glass house. There are certain things you can do to protect yourself, but... There's really no way of protecting uh, from from these types of zero days unless um, you're, you're con- consistently monitoring audit logs. You have the right firewalls in place. You're you're doing these third party audits. Um, but other than that, uh, this is just next level stuff. So I wanted to ask you two questions about security in general, uh, along with what we're talking about, just to sort of remind our, our listeners. Um, you talk security walls and protection and all that. That's really important, right? That you continue to update those and, and keep those on your systems yearly? Absolutely. That is the number one thing that you you must do. Um, aside from frequently changing your passwords and enabling multi-factor authentication, do those updates. When you know, just if you take out your you know take out your phone and just look at how many updates uh, you have to do on um, on the different apps that you have, for example, what you'll realize is the majority of those updates are not new features on those apps. They're security updates. They're security patches because vulnerabilities have been found. And you can imagine the frequency of those updates. That's how many vulnerabilities actually exist are being caught and being and being patched. So yes, stay up to date with the devices, um, those apps. Proper, you know, follow those very simple, low-tech steps to prevent a lot of these high-tech crime from happening in the first place. And the other general question I had to ask you is just, what's some things to watch for? Like, I, I think of my parents when somebody sends them and says, oh, I got a video of you, and I, I see that right away and I delete it. I know that nobody does, um, but my parents might not. And then there's even things that I don't even recognize when they're sent to you. What are some general tips when when dealing with your email for for everybody who's maybe not that savvy when it comes to cybersecurity? Verify the sender. Um, whenever I get an email that looks suspicious or is fishy, and that's because uh, it's actually called phishing, um, what you want what you want to do is uh, actually call the call the sender. Um, again, these low-tech low tech solutions. So I, I give you a call and say, uh, um, did you send me this? Uh, you know, is this, a, is this an actual link where I send you a text message? And you say, yeah, Ritesh, this is good. And then I go ahead and open it, click on it, respond, if you have any doubt at all. The other thing also is hover over the names. Uh, sometimes when these emails come in, all you get is 
the name at the top. Well, verify that name actually matches the email address that you have on file. A lot of these um, hackers, what they will do is uh, there's ways of manipulating. It's called spoofing uh, email addresses. So w- when you receive it, you think it's from a particular, it's from a friend or a trusted colleague. But when you respond to it or when you click on a link, um, it is not. So verify the sender. Um, you know, make sure that the email address is legitimate and accurate. Um, and uh, that, and, and uh, along with some of the other tips we talked about. And that will help protect you from becoming victimized by these types of attacks. Ritesh, I always appreciate you joining us, whether it's my show or our station, with all your insight. And uh, I did want to congratulate you on behalf of all of us. I saw you just recently became a lawyer. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure to be on. Matthew Sancarche. Uh, who is the Director of Operations and Intelligence for the Downtown Community Safety Partnership. We're talking about the assault numbers that the Winnipeg Police Service has put out. And Matthew, I thank you for weighing in on this and for joining me today. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, when you see those numbers and and how much they're up, 1,161 in the span of a year, up 25.9%. We've been saying 26%. And over the five-year average, more than 31%. Um, Does that surprise you from what you've been seeing? I would suspect not. Um, you know, these things are kind of hard to talk about because stats, you know, they, they sort of, you can kind of take multiple angles. I think what we're seeing down here by way of that sort of stuff is the fact that you've got, you know, it's sort of like, I don't want to say post-pandemic, uh, but it, 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 we, are, we are kind of in this post-COVID era, um, if we can call it that, where we're seeing more people downtown, people are coming back to offices, people are frequenting more. And importantly, there is a segment of the population that uh, requires um, significantly more access to services, whether that's transitional housing, detox, and so on. Um, in order to have their needs met. So, yeah, we do see a swell of, of a number of things. I think it's almost like a perfect storm in a way. And so it doesn't surprise me in that sense. But, it, it you know, it is concerning that we're hearing more and more people, um, you know, perceive downtown to be less safe. And so that's something that we try to work on um, every day. And, you know, along those lines, we had Winnipeg Police Service on in the first hour today to to delve into those numbers. And, and they mentioned the pandemic as well and, and, and what it did and what, what they're coming out of when it comes to these assaults and and the crime in the downtown area. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Like, I, I think a lot of people don't, um, are following the connection and it's really that there wasn't a lot of people downtown for a long time and, and things changed. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you get, um, you know, the, the nice thing about downtown is that it's a really vibrant mix of folks. Um, you know, we're down here every day and, 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 uh, our teams are around there. They're sort of watching out, uh, for folks and, and, you know, they, uh, they they do everything from checking in to uh, you know they 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 check in on um, on um, on uh, businesses uh, agencies. They also check in with people who you know for one reason or, or another might be uh, sleeping in a bus shack. And so we we see all sorts of things happening there. Um, there are many more situations happening now than there used to be, and, and a lot, you know, as you're saying, a lot more folks. For a while, it was a bit of a dead zone, um, and we we started up during the pandemic, so we knew. I mean, there, there's a stark contrast. Um, in terms of the stuff that we're seeing on our side, we've had about a 
roughly 430% increase in calls from the from 2021. We had about 500 to 2022, we had a little over 2,700. And that's just because, again, there's a need there that needs to be filled. And that's kind of what we do uh, when, when folks are saying, oh, I see somebody sleeping on a sidewalk, okay? Don't necessarily want to call 911, but I should call somebody, and that's where we come in. So we're seeing a lot more of that in terms of the community knows who we are. We're getting out there. We're trying to do those things. Um, yeah. I should have maybe started with that, Matthew. Tell us yeah. what Downtown Community Safety Partnership does. I mean, I'm, I I feel awful. I know what you do, but maybe our listeners don't. Tell us about the services you are providing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have a series of teams. We do everything from put, uh, sorry, foot patrol to uh, vehicle patrol uh, basically around the clock. So we are a 24-7 service and, and we um, help basically, we, we, we meet people where they're at and we, we get them to where they need to be. Um, we are, our, our goal is to serve everyone downtown. doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what they're wearing, if they're wearing a suit, uh, if they're wearing uh, gym clothes, if they're, like I said before, kind of, um, you know, making uh, sort of a makeshift camp on the sidewalk. doesn't matter who they are. We are here to help those folks. And so uh, we do that by providing a proactive, visible presence. If people have been downtown, they may have seen our folks out there with uh, bright fluorescent green ball caps, toques, um, and uh, they're, they're, they're pretty hard to miss. So it's providing that, that sort of proactive visibility. We also have a, you know, we were able to respond to calls for assistance from the community as well. And we've been seeing, as I said before, pretty big growth in that from, uh, you know, community members, churches, agencies, just places that, uh, you know, might want someone to check in on them. Um, and so we're also able to do that through our, we call it our coordinated assistance network, which is basically sort of how we, um, how we, uh, how we dispatch teams. And then on the, uh, at the kind of to complement all that, we also have what we call our core team or community outreach and advocacy resource team. They're the long-term case support team. So, if you have someone who is in in significant need of many services and don't have that support from our institutions right now, that is who they, that's who we'll connect them with. So these are like detectives who sort of advocate for people. Um, they will take them to appointments. They'll figure out where they need to go to get where they need to be, whether that's, again, housing, detox, clinic, health-related things, whatever that person might need they're able to provide it for them. So, and, and all, all of our staff are incredibly passionate people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing the work that they do every day. And it's, it is because, you know, it doesn't matter who on the streets or the grassroots levels, uh, St. Boniface street links, some other community members, when we're talking violence, crime, um, the most vulnerable, it, it seems to always come back to the grassroots level of if somebody needs help, they need to have the support, the support like they need to have a bed if they want to get uh, sober they need to if they have an addiction or mental illness they need to get some cure and, it, and part of it is at that grassroots level on how to get there and the availability of those so how busy are you Matthew? Uh, we are I mean yeah we we are extremely busy um, you know we started off as a smaller um, we, we, we you know our operation started in the fall of 2020 and and that's kind of we started off as an organization that had to make a lot of work for ourselves so kind of going out there seeing people um, boots on the ground uh, patrol um, and and just trying to make sure that that's all um, you know uh, that's all there 
Um, and, and then over time, you know, as I've said, we've seen many, many more calls. And so now a lot of that work is being given to us or provided to us. And we've been really fortunate to make really um, incredible partnerships with uh, multiple agencies in the city um, that, you know, so, you know, both organizationally and on the ground, um, our staff have great working relationships with people from the Winnipeg Police Service, uh, the Winnipeg Fire Paramedics, um, and and kind of you know knowing when to hand that off to us and and making sure that we're here to help alleviate the strain on those emergency services so that they can focus on what they need to do, which is sort of life-saving or, or, or sort of violent, sort of crime-related things. And that's really where I think we see the most differences, helping our partners in that way, uh, because we're not police, we're not emergency, we're not emergency services. Um, and, and just kind of taking some of that, that sort of strain off, whether it's, you know, like wellness checks and things that people might call 911 for because they don't know who else to call. Um, when you're downtown here, we're the ones that you would want to call about that. And, and so that's something that we've seen as well. So all of these different sources were the last couple of years have been like a watershed um, in terms of us, uh, you know, um, uh, kind of meeting that gap. That's, I think, been there for a while. And, and we're very happy to, to continue growing in that way. And, and to bring the conversation full circle now, though, like these numbers being up and 1,161 and, and um, up 26% since last year alone, that has to make it more difficult for you. Any suggestions on, on what could more be done downtown and, and with some of the issues that you and your organization deal with daily? Yeah, you know, that that's a, that's a great question. I don't think there's any, you know, as you know, there, there's not really any one kind of solution. Uh, it's got to be multifaceted. It's got to be relentless. It has to be constant. And, and, and it can't be the kind of thing that we focus on for a bit before we move on to something else. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of progress in the last year or so in terms of um, the expansion of, of facilities like transitional housing, because, you know, as you, um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, in order for someone to get where they need to be by way of, say, health, they need a place to live, they need a bed, they need a home, um, and, and, and to kind of go from there to, to sort of introduce stability in people's lives so that they can go from being somebody who might end up in an unfortunate situation, sort of in a, in a street-related situation, to, to somebody that, you know, has a reason to sort of care about the system, right? And we need to make sure that people are, you know, that they feel safe, that they are um, integrated into the community. And this is for everybody, right? This isn't just for you know, a, you know, what we would call a vulnerable or uh, at-risk population. This is everyone. If someone, you know, lives in, say, uh, for example, Transcona, and they come downtown for work, they also deserve to feel safe. So that's our philosophy, and we just want to make sure that, yeah, you know, everyone feels like they can belong to something uh, when they are downtown. That's our goal. Obviously, you know, we're still working on it, um, but, you know, I just, if folks take nothing else from this. It's just that we are here and that we can be called upon if ever somebody need, um, feels the need, like if they feel unsafe, they and can you, call us. And you know, Matthew, just to wrap this up, and I hope this is a personal question, so feel free if you don't want to answer, but you have a sociology degree, you have a master's, your doctor of philosophy, uh, you were teaching at universities. Um, what, what brought you to this position? Like you, you clearly have a, a care for, for the community that you grew up in. Yeah. Like, like um, why, why, why do you feel this is an important position and, and why you, you went to um, a community safety partnership? 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm the kind of person that I want to make sure that when uh, I'm at work that I am sort of motivated to be the best person that I can be. Um, and our fantastic staff here often do this for me every day. Um, seeing folks come in, the sort of stories that they tell to each other about folks that they meet uh, sort of um, out there, the many success stories that they've had um, about about all the work that they do. It, it really keeps everything going. Um, and I've spent a long time kind of in the trenches of the theoretical reasons why these things happen. And, and you know, I've, I've sort of taught about them. So I, I often joke that this is kind of like my like years long practicum, if you will, uh, just because I've, I've seen that, I've seen the one side of it in terms of academia. Um, and now I'm, I'm seeing that kind of very, you know, this is not to say that academia doesn't, you know, reflect the real world or anything like that, but this is, this is very real and it's very visceral and you often don't get that uh, when you're sort of in an academic position. So it's something that I, you know, I, when I wake up every day, I look forward to coming to work. And for me, that's really what it's all about. Well, good on you. And to be honest with you, as, as you said, it's a collective and we all have to continue to be relentless working towards this. But I, I think we need people like yourself doing what you're doing. So I appreciate the conversation, but also for, for what you're doing there. So thanks for doing this today with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.